Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome to the Second Reading Podcast. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague Joshua Blank. Today, we're going to focus on the just-released University of Texas Texas Politics Project poll, which we designed and implemented with our colleagues at UGov. Uh, at the top of the agenda for that poll, I suppose, Josh, there's no getting around it, was the presidential election. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we always look at the timing of these things and what, you know, where it fits in the political calendar. And if we're near a legislative session, we usually ask about a lot of policy questions that the legislature is going to take up. But in in the June of an election year, right after the last primary uh, had ended in, you know, the District of Columbia, our real focus on this was basically getting a sense of where where Texans were, you know, with respect to both the the, the candidates uh, in the presidential race, but also some of the issues that have been animating that discussion over the last, you know, six months or so. Right. So we, we should talk about both of those. So let's start at the top, uh, essentially not quite, but close to the top of the of the poll and really the, the conceptual sort of heart of the poll is, as you say, when we were thinking about this poll and writing the questions and, and designing it, the idea was we know the presidential election is happening. As you say, it's that it's a certain time of year and a time in the cycle of how we poll. But there's also this sense that there are attitudes that are sort of intersecting at both the state level and in the presidential election. But nonetheless, the thing that most people were we're waiting for in terms of our audience. And, this is where we make our money. And our desire to, to get uh, the poll and uh, to further the greater good of the University of Texas. What people would wait, were waiting for were the results in the presidential race, right? Right. So we found that uh, overall in a, in a head-to-head matchup between uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, well, 41% of registered voters in Texas said they'd be supporting Donald Trump, well, 33% so they'd be supporting Hillary Clinton. And, and the, you know, the, the read of this broadly was Clinton's within single digits of Trump in Texas. Right. And, and by single digits, just for people that don't live in this all the time, in other words, uh, a, a lead of that, uh, that, that she's, she's only behind by less than 10 points. And we also had 19% in that matchup that said they, were, they preferred someone else, and then 8% said they, they didn't know. Um, we also then followed up in the way that we organized the poll with a question that included the libertarian candidate, Gary Johnson. And this is maybe one of Josh's least favorite topics. If you were in the studio, you could see him. He has a, It's a poker face, but it's but it's barely. I can't help um, but make this face every time we talk about this. So in the three-way race, um, there wasn't a whole lot of impact by including Johnson. Donald Trump had 39%. Uh, Hillary Clinton drops a point to 32. Johnson gains seven. Most of that gain on the face of it comes from the people that had said someone else. So the someone else reading drops from 19 to 14 when you include the libertarian candidate. And, and we should just say... Uh, you know, for people that are looking for an alternative to the two-party system, there is, uh, you know, a lot of talk, shall we say, about Gary Johnson and then this third-party candidacy. Uh, we often, you know, libertarians 
almost always are on the ballot in Texas at the presidential level uh, and actually field some candidates in legislative races. But the typical pattern when this is, you know, the source of frustration, I'm, I'm teasing you, but I feel it too, which is we put a libertarian in, they always get more that like clockwork, they always get more in the poll than they wind up getting in the final tally once the election rolls around. Um, and so it only makes it look like we're that much further off if we include the libertarian and then the libertarian doesn't get any votes. I think Gary Johnson got a little less than 2%. Like I think 1.4. Yeah, 1.4% in the, in the last general election when he ran in, in 2012. We know it's going to happen, but fair is fair. So we did do the matchup. The one interesting thing about this, actually, I should say, I will, I'll throw this out there, is just, I think, you know, given how uh, negatively both Trump and Clinton are viewed, both by, you know, partisans of the other side, but also to some degree within their own, within parties. Their own parties, there was the possibility that you'd see, you know, a surge in support for an alternative candidate. And really, if anything, this is actually a little bit lower than usual. I mean, right. usually we'd expect to see about 10% this far out for the libertarian candidate and expect it to drop to less than 2% on election day. In this case, he only pulled 7%. So, you know, despite that narrative, it's really, there's nothing, there's no there there. I like the way you said that it was reasonable to do it, but then came back around to, but still I'm right to well, feel this way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. So, so that gives you a sense of, of what it looked like overall. Um, and then there were interesting storylines. So when we put this poll together, if you step back, there's nobody out there in, you know, that received this poll as a as an interested consumer who looked at these numbers and wow, that's shocking. Donald Trump's ahead by eight points. It's in the ballpark of what we expected. Uh, very similar to where the Romney Obama race was yeah. four years ago. Interestingly enough, that may just be a coincidence, but I think it's not you know, completely irrelevant. I, can I stop, can we pa yeah. pause on that yeah. point for one second? I've been thinking about this a little bit because I mean, on the one hand you'd say, I mean, I think what, you know, the, a lot of the coverage has been to point out that this is only, this is single digits and the, and the obvious response sort of from someone who follows us regularly is to say exactly what you said, right? Well, you know, when we polled in May, 2012, you know, Romney was ahead of Barack Obama by eight points. So really we should expect that gap to widen. Having said that, there are some differences, right? Well, certainly. Which is, I mean, well, yes, there's yeah. certainly some differences. I'm going to hone, I'm going to hone in on one <laughs> minor difference, and the minor difference is that Romney hadn't actually secured the nomination at that point, and so to the extent that you'd expect to see Romney's vote share grow from that eight point lead early on, a lot of that would be the consolidation you'd expect to happen once he became the nominee, and it was clear to everybody that this was the candidate. And you see that sort of rallying that if you've been kind of following politics over the last few weeks and since the you know the primaries have closed out, you've been hearing about, especially with, you know, Sanders voters sort of coming to Clinton and whether, you know, Cruz and these other supporters are going to come to uh, Trump, which we're going to talk some more about. But, you know, in this case, actually, at this point in polling, you know, the primary right. was over in Texas, the, you know, the nominees were set. And so actually, you know, even though this eight points is comparable to, to the historical numbers, you know, the context is a little bit different. You'd almost, right. you would, I think, with a with a more traditional, we'll say, Republican candidate, maybe expect this gap to be wider given the fact that, you know, you expect Republicans to generally win in statewide elections by double digits. Right. I mean, I think there are countervailing tendency there. There is the fact that, you know, Romney wasn't quite the presumptive candidate as of June, though I think he was leading the pack by then. He was definitely, he was definitely and, the leader of the pack. But on the other hand, at this point, Trump is... A bit more of a divisive candidate. Well, let's <laughs> than, to, to, to put it gently. That's a good segue. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, what we cared about in a lot of ways, uh, the, the the reason I started on you know the 
this wasn't a huge surprise, was that we were interested in, after very divisive primaries, how much the each candidate was consolidating support, given that you know, on the Republican side, you had Donald uh, uh, Ted Cruz making a real run at Donald Trump. Right, Texas Senator Ted yeah, Cruz for a long time, and certainly on the on the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders has been giving President or uh, President Secretary of State Clinton a pretty good run for her money, and and is lingering in a way that is causing some degree of discontent. I think that you know both of these then were factors that we were interested in. Put most simply, were the Cruz, how much were the Cruz supporters coming around to support Trump? How much are the Sanders supporters coming around to support Clinton? Two very different answers. Right. So we asked uh, we asked respondents, you know, who they supported in the in the primary, uh, and among Cruz supporters, uh, you know, sixty nine percent said that they were going to be supporting Donald Trump in the general election. Not surprisingly. You know, 2% said they'd be supporting Hillary Clinton. And you may say, who are those 2%? That's like a good gut check on any poll. Nothing's ever 100%. If you don't have a couple people who are confused or messing up in some way... You'd be more troubled by zero than two. I would be much more troubled <laughs> by zero than two. So again, Cruz supporters, you know, about 70% of them said that they are coming to Donald Trump and they're going to vote for him. 22% said someone else. Among Sanders supporters, it's a little bit more mixed. Yeah. Uh, a little you, uglier over a there. A little <laughs> uglier. 10% said they were supporting Donald Trump. 40% said they were going to support Clinton. 44%, the plurality, said they were going to support someone else. And that, and that 44 is a is a highlighted red number in many ways. Now, on one hand, given events and given the way that Senator Sanders has played this, that is his reluctance to throw in the towel and... Uh, unambiguously endorse Hillary Clinton in the last week or week and a half. He said that he was going to vote. He's going to vote for her, but he did not stand up and tell his supporters, "I am going to vote for her." For her, you should too. We are standing down. It's time to unify the party. We're not hearing that kind of message from Sanders, um, and his reluctance, or you know, I guess we have to call it his refusal to withdraw from the race, even though. Clinton is the is the presumptive candidate is clearly uh, uh, informing this number. Yeah, and I think you know there's sort of a, somebody asked me this question. It's a smart question, which is you know is there can you look at this and say, hey, you know Clinton's only down by eight right now, and again it's early. These numbers are going to move. We expect you know that gap to expand over time. However, forty four percent of Sanders supporters, who's about twenty percent of you know the people we polled say they're voting for someone else. I mean, presumably, they're, a lot of them are going to come to Clinton at some point, right? Doesn't that give her room to grow? And my response to that was, well, you know, if you sort of do the math, so do, you know, multiply percentages by percentages right. and everything, you know, really you're talking about 7.5% of the overall electorate. Right. Okay. So that could clear, you know, basically actually cover, Hopefully. it would be helpful to cover some of that gap. Uh, at the same time, you know, what's been notable about Sanders supporters in a lot of ways is, is you know, they're they dug in. They're dug in, and they also skew younger. Right, which means they're going to skew to lower turnout. Right. And so there's so, going to be attrition there. And it's not going to go 100% to Clinton, right. even those who do show up. So, you know, it's it's an interesting question. I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot in this poll in the early on, I think, that indicates maybe a closer race in Texas than we think. Not a competitive race. Right. But a closer race. Well, and I think the other thing, you know, you said this at the outset, and I keep reminding people of this, it's June. Right. We still have a bunch of, you know, sort of stimulators of public opinion shifts of, you know, there's still a lot of consolidation to go. There's still a lot of people that aren't paying close attention 
um, probably most people. And so there's a lot of shifts. Now, on the Republican side, um, something a little, you know, I mean, it, it would seem similar in that Ted Cruz has not endorsed Donald Trump and has given every signal that he has no intention of ever doing so. And I think that's unlike Sanders, frankly. Right. I think Sanders will eventually come around. I think so, too. Um, but with with Cruz, he's made it clear, you know, the stories say, you know, he's not going to, you know, that he is not going to respond to Donald Trump's requirement that they that he endorsed trump in order to speak at the right. convention he's like which is yeah, actually fine. unenforceable but. yeah we'll go but we're not going you know and i don't care if we speak basically they're not they're not going to do it nonetheless there's a higher level of support for trump among uh cruz voters than there were than there than there was among uh sanders voters for clinton right 60 with 69 percent right 69 percent right four, right so 69%, you know, are, are on board suggesting that in one sense, at least as far as these candidate kind of rivalries, the Republicans don't have much of a problem in Texas. And we'll see this in some of the other attitudinal stuff. Texas Republicans, by and large, are coming around to Trump's candidacy. But they're doing so in a way that, you know, still is happening in the context and maybe even because of a lot more kind of structural division and tension inside the party. And and we see that when we look at these approval numbers uh, of the major parties among their partisans. Right. So, I mean, if you think about the fact that you had this divisive primary season and, uh, you know, at the very least... Maybe Cruz supporters are are not happy with the process. Maybe I mean clearly Sanders supporters are not happy with the process. But when you actually ask, uh, you know, these these supporters how they feel about the Republican and Democratic parties respectively, you know, Bernie voters are you know pretty much I would say am, you know relatively ambivalent towards the Democratic Party. You know, right, right. right. The you know the Sanders the people that say they supported Sanders in twenty in the in the primary. Have 44% have a favorable view of the Democratic Party, 36 an unfavorable. Now, that's not great, but it's, um, you know, it's it's not it's it's not the end of the world either. But if you compare that to Clinton voters, people that vote for, that say they're voting for Clinton have a 75% approval of the Democratic Party, favorable, favorable view of the, of the Democratic Party and only 9% negative. If you look then at the Republican side, you know, it's much more complicated. Cruz voters, again, have a net positive, favorable view of the Republican Party, 45 favorable, 36 unfavorable. But Trump voters who have just triumphed and whose candidate has presumably just triumphed in the process, themselves only have 50 uh, favorable, 31 unfavorable. So really, at best, only about half of Republicans have a favorable view of their own party. Right. I mean, it's, it's actually, you know, we're looking specifically at subsets of voters, but that does obscure, like, I mean, it doesn't obscure, but actually a little bit, the bigger trend, which is, you know, Democrats overall in Texas, 73% have a favorable view of the Democratic Party. Okay, good. Republicans in Texas, only 52% have a favorable view of the Republican Party. Almost 30% have an unfavorable view of their own party. Right. So, I mean, how, like, you know, we sort of were talking about this a little bit earlier. I mean, in some ways, I mean, this is a lot of what the primary was about and how it ended up sort of shaking out, right? These sort of longtime kind of party guys, the Jeb Bushes, the John Kasichs, right? You know, they didn't gain much traction. And then the two guys who were left standing were the two people who were the most critical of the party from the get-go, Donald yeah, Trump and I, Ted I think Cruz. Most, you know, most bluntly, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, who were the last two men standing, spent almost as much time kind of, uh, you know taking punches at their own party as they did 
the Democrats. Right. So, I mean, you can see how now both sides are... And they found an audience, clearly. Right. And so so both sides are facing sort of different kinds of challenges right now. I mean, with the Democrats, it's classic, right? It's, you know, how do you incorporate the the losing candidates, supporters back into the party? The truth is, it shouldn't be that hard because overall, they, you know, generally, Democrats have a positive view of the Democratic Party. There's generally agreement about these sorts of issues, you know, the issues that animate the Democratic Party, they're going to kind of come back over. With the Republicans, this sort of you know, structural distrust of institutions, including the party itself, is really baked into the cake. And that makes it difficult to sort of... Rally around the label, in a sense, right? right. I mean, if you're if you're somebody that's used to... If, if the idea is the parties provide a degree of cohesion and, and a point of identification for voters that help the candidates, it's hard to look at these numbers and not feel like the Republicans are going to have less of that. Now, in Texas, two things I, I think to keep in mind here. One, quickly... In Texas, there's just so many more Republicans than there are Democrats that actually show up to vote right. on Election Day in terms of what we, in highfalutin terms, call the composition of the electorate. Because Republican turnout is so much higher than Democratic turnout, and there's just so many Republicans. This would have to get really bad for us to start thinking that Hillary Clinton was going to take this thing. The other piece of this is that there's another piece to the puzzle, and that is um, the antipathy that people in their party, no matter how much they are skeptical or not of their own party, there's this deep antipathy towards the opposing candidates that we also tested in what was mo- you know in what was motivating people's votes. Right. I mean, it's important. I mean, this is sort of so when we look at uh, Clinton, you know, Hillary Clinton's you know favorability numbers. You know, among Republicans, she's filled, she's viewed unfavorably by 91 percent right. of Republicans. Uh, you know, 86 percent of Democrats view Trump unfavorably. And, and and if you drill down into those numbers, the vast majority of those are not just unfavorable, they're very unfavorable. I mean, the thing I always imagine is that when we are asking people about these questions, the person taking the poll on their computer is just like slamming at the yeah. mouse so they can go, oh, very unfavorable. <laughs> and and when we ask people really directly about this, what do we get? We ask people, so once they once they expect their pre- they express their preference, we said, are you voting? So is your vote mainly a vote for Donald Trump or mainly a vote against Hillary Clinton, and then we did the same reverse with Clinton voters. Uh, Among Trump voters, 45% said that their vote was mainly for Trump, 55% against Clinton. Right, and 57% of Republicans. Right, and so on, yeah, and then on, exactly, and then on the, the, among Clinton voters overall, 57% said that they were voting for Clinton, uh, 43 against Trump. So there's a, again, I think we're seeing a little bit more of that positive affect among Democrats evident in that number. But the against votes in that are both pretty high. Right, exactly. I mean, these things are, all this is sort of reinforcing actually in, in a way that, you know, uniquely it kind of, I mean, it's unique in the sense that it's not classic, but it actually is pushing us to the same point, which is even if I'm not excited about my candidate, I'm so against the alternative. Right that we're still going to see a lot of sort of normal partisan voting kind of right. across I mean, the election. There's, there's, you know, people are, are, are going to be pretty locked into their party candidates. I think we're not, we're not going to see a lot of movement. The question is, how does it affect turnout? All right, before we get too far in the weeds, let's talk a little bit before we sign off. We're running long probably about issues. We, we looked at uh, a set of issues that, as we said, we thought were 
you know, intersecting the national conversation, but also in, in some cases have been very prominent in Texas. So we asked a battery of questions about immigration and and found not too many surprises in that, I don't think. Right. It's not surprises to us, maybe maybe to you, but we'll, we'll, we'll let you know. Uh, so one, we ask a regular question about whether undocumented immigrants, you know, currently living in the U.S. should be deported immediately. This is sort of goes back to kind of the Mitt Romney. We're going to deport 11 million people. And I think Donald Trump has sort of, you know, waved at this as a possibility. Uh, you know, overall in Texas, you know, 50 percent of registered voters approve or agree with this sort of approach of immediate deportation. 42 percent disapprove. Among Republicans, it's 73 percent uh, saying an approval, 23 percent against. Donald Trump's uh, proposal to build a border wall between the U.S. and Mexico Again, very similar numbers. You know, 52% of Texans, you know, support this idea, 40% oppose it. Among Republicans, 76% support it, 17% oppose it. And then, uh, you know, a ban on non-citizen Muslims from entering the U.S. Uh, On this one, again, similar, 52% overall in support, 37% opposed, 76% of Republicans approve, 16%. Uh, oppose. And this actually went up a lot. We asked the same item about sort of a, a ban on Muslim immigration back in February, and it was 63% of Republicans. So it's jumped up 13 points during that period. Now, some of that is, is no doubt due to the Orlando shooting, even though, you know, he was a yeah. citizen and all that. But, you know, we don't need I think to- that probably fed it. But, I, you know, when I step back and look at all these in an ensemble, it's a lot of partisan, you know, we didn't give any of the Democratic numbers. The Democratic numbers are almost the the complete mirror image in all of these. So on the border wall, for example, for example, Democrats only 21% suppo- support, 72% oppose. So I think a couple of things here. One, the frame of the discussion in the presidential election is reinforcing tendencies that we've seen in Texas long before Donald Trump, you know, straight right. we off get, his reality set and onto the political we, we stage. We get asked a lot about, you know... You know, explain how this is Donald Trump's fault that people have these restrictive immigration views. And, and the answer is, well, no, Trump has benefited from these views, but they existed long before, you know, his, you know, his success in the primary. Right. He is, he is exploiting them in a more direct way and, and not attempting to balance other interests in the party, I think, in a way that that we have become familiar with in Texas in which political leaders have done that. So um, another 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 issue quickly that we talked about was transgender uh access to public facilities and bathrooms. Uh, we found similar degree of partisan structure in there, not quite as not quite as uh, as polarized, but pretty close. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the first thing we want to ask... Actually, about as polarized, really. Yeah, well, I, well, I, would, I wouldn't say as polarized, actually. Well, I mean, Democrats are a little more... Or Democrats are a little more divided, but Republicans are pretty... Well, right, the Republican structure is the same. I mean, I think right. there's two things we were sort of interested in with this, with this issue is, one, you know, we kind of want to do a heat check. I mean, elected officials have been talking about this stuff a lot over the last couple of months. And just to be direct, Dan Patrick has been all over this. The lieutenant governor in Texas has really rolled the dice. And, I, you know, I had a reporter talk, talking to me a few weeks ago that it had a, I think, sort of a semi-off the record with... The lieutenant governor who had and who came away the reporters saying it really feels like dan patrick views this as him standing up to the president of the united states it's him versus obama <laughs> okay well <laughs> um you know i think from my perspective not knowing not knowing not having spoken with the lieutenant governor i was sort of wondering is this you know is he out on a limb here is this is this, you know, is this a misfire on his part? Is it a reach? And the results kind of show probably oh. not. You know, it seemed that overall, you know, fifty uh, percent of republic, or I'm sorry, of Texans said that they were very or somewhat concerned about, you know, transgender 
public facility access. But, you know, like the immigration numbers, that included, you know, 66% of Republicans. Uh, and then across sort of a couple different issues, you know, should transgender uh, individuals have access to the public restrooms based on their, their birth gender or their gender identification? Should transgender students, you know, have access to, you know, public school facilities based on their birth gender or their gender identity? You know, 75, you know, 70, 75% of Republicans basically said birth gender. It was right. very clear and unequivocal. With Democrats, is a little bit more mixed uh, with respect to, you know, access to public restrooms. 29% of Democrats said birth gender, 50% said gender identity. And these, you know, results kind of held across, across the, the items. And I think that's kind of why you see it's such a good issue for Republicans is that they're concerned about it and they're very clear. Whereas for Democrats, it's not it's not exactly clear in a state like Texas how you respond, because you know that about a third of your voters actually would disagree with you if you right. took the, the gender identity route, which is why you probably haven't heard too much from Texas Democrats on this issue. But another reason we ask this now is that so we can follow this. I mean, my my suspicion is that as this issue takes more shape. And as the politics of it become more public, we'll see a little bit of movement. So I think with that, speaking of movement, we're going to move out of here. You know, if you want to check out these results, any others, you know, you can go to the uh, Texas Politics Project website at texaspolitics.utexas.edu. And we have, you know, all these results. More stuff than you can possibly digest in a setting. There'll be a link to latest poll. There's also um, a link to the blog where we've written up some of this stuff if you want to have a look. So with that... Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project and the Project 2021 Development Studio at the University of Texas at Austin. 